over the past few weeks, so many people have kindly and caringly written in to me and asked me if me and my family are safe. And many more have asked me questions pertaining to their own safety and security. Like Meredith, who said, I need guidance and support as my children navigate the uncertainty and fear that the world can be so full of these days. Or Marissa, who said, I want my kids to feel safe, but not live in a bubble. Or Lorna, who simply asked, how can I ensure my kids' safety? Now, of course, we all want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. Our very survival pulls us into protecting ourselves and our young ones. But today, I want to push back on the overemphasis of safety that our culture has gone into. And yes, even living through times such as these, I want to offer a balancing out of that perspective and of that emphasis. So let's get into it. This is HiFam. I'm Avital. In our current culture, we have put such a huge emphasis on safety that it's actually become one of those isms. It's called safety-ism. And I actually write about it in my book, Reclaim Play. Because when we see what we have seen, which is basically the rise in the emphasis of safety over the past few decades, what we sometimes fail to notice is the huge price that we can pay when we emphasize one value at the expense of others. Here's the thing. Whenever we put a huge focus on safety, what we are sacrificing is a whole slew of other values, such as freedom, right? Safety and freedom are always in attention with each other, right? The safer we are, the more control we take over our safety, the more actions we take to actually pursue safety, like putting on helmets and seatbelts and avoiding risks, the more we limit our freedom or our children's freedoms. And even in pretty dire situations, even in extreme situations of safety, there is this tension between how much do I want freedom? How much do I want to exercise, uh, you know, my rights, my life, my freedom of movement, my freedom of expression versus how much do I want to stay safe, which is often going to go hand in hand with being timid or being meek or hiding. In many re regards, safety can sometimes be put at odds with bravery, with courage, with facing our fears, with taking risks, with going out there and getting it, right? And so I want to kind of answer Meredith, Marissa, Lorna, myself, and all of the millions of parents out there who are currently really concerned with their family safety or with their children's safety, whether it's in times of war or in times of peace, with a balancing out and a reminder that safety is not the only value that we should be guiding our children with. I want to just linger here for a minute and outline exactly why this cost that comes with safety can sometimes be too high and why it can sometimes backfire. It can actually sometimes be counterproductive even to the goal of safety when we emphasize too much safety. And I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by that. But stick with me because I do have three strategies or three counter, uh, you know, values that you can promote within your child, that you can parent towards, that we can emphasize in our parenting uh, so that, yes, we emphasize safety, but that's not the only thing we emphasize. And it's not at the detriment of other values that are equally important. So let's just linger for a moment on why the emphasis on too much safety is not a good thing. 
When we emphasize safety, what happens is that we tend to do everything we can to remove risk, right? And I'll give you a really concrete and obvious example for this, which is what has happened to our playgrounds over the past few decades. Over the past few decades, playgrounds have gotten safer and safer. What that means is there's been more and more eliminations of risk. The heights of the playgrounds themselves have gotten shorter, right? They've gotten lower so that there's less risk of a great fall. The uh, bars themselves, all of the infrastructure has become a lot more protective, thus removing much of the risk. Our slides have become more walled off and safe. The floor has become softer and squishier so that falls are less risky. The roundabouts have been eliminated so you can't spin around fast in a circle anymore. Many of the physical risks have simply been eliminated. And what has happened as a result of this and in correlation to many other things as well is that children have become actually weaker as a result. So yes, it's kept them safer in the sense that they are less likely to fall from a high height onto a hard surface, but it has actually made them less safe in the sense that they are developing fewer skills. They are less able to mitigate risk, to listen to their bodies. They're developing less core strength, vestibular balance, um, you know, hand-eye coordination, all of those you know, gross motor skills and fine motor skills that are needed in order to navigate physical risky situations uh, are being slowly eliminated as they have less and less opportunities to actually explore these and teeter on the edge of risk. Yes, there is risk involved. Yes, kids did get hurt. Um, Yes, that's a bad thing. Um, But there's also a bad thing that goes along with no risk. And the bad thing that goes along with no risk is that children don't actually develop any of those Uh, skills that are necessary and that are protective of them when they do face, you know, challenge. So for example, a child who has developed less balance, less hand-eye coordination, less spinal flexibility, less core strength, uh, when they are faced with some kind of physical challenge, they are less protected and less able to face that challenge well and to succeed. Ultimately, uh, when we keep kids extra, extra, extra safe and eliminate all risk. What we're doing is not making them safer in the long run. What we're doing is making them weaker in the wrong long run. Now you might say to me, well, Avital, that's all well and good. But if a kid, you know, has an awful, terrible, a dangerous fall off a high slide onto a hard surface, then that wasn't a risk worth taking. And I'll say to you, yeah, it's true. Terrible things do happen. And it's true that we want to eliminate high risks. That's why we do end up wearing seatbelts, wearing helmets, uh, taking precautions, etc. But this is one example of something that is showing how we are creating a safer and safer world, but in the process, also creating weaker and weaker generations to come. Um, We see this with emotional safety as well. Right. Emotional safety uh, is about making sure that children never feel uncomfortable feelings, never get offended, never have to contend with opinions that they even disagree with. Right. This is what happens when we build safe spaces or, you know, offer trigger warnings. These are all designed to try to mitigate the emotional risk that children might face uh, when they're confronted with things that they don't much like or that cause them hurt or offense. And rather than bolstering them up, like rather than strengthening their core system, their muscle tone, um, their coordination, and rather than 
bolstering up their emotional resilience as well, where they're able to withstand being offended from time to time, dealing with opinions that they really don't like from time to time, uh, not getting their preferences met from time to time. Instead of doing that, uh, we instead eliminate as much of those risks, uh, as much of as those of those uh, emotional dangers as possible. And we try to make the world a safer place for them. The problem is, again, that rather than making them strong individuals who can handle all kind of, you know, manner of offense, uh, we make them weak individuals who are much more likely to get hurt in the long run, to get insulted, to have meltdowns, to have tantrums, to have an inability to withstand uh, any kind of challenge, right? And life does throw us challenges. Life does throw us curveballs. Even children who have grown up on extremely safe apparatus at the playground are likely to face some physical challenges, like they might actually want to be strong or they might trip and fall just, you know, on a regular flight of stairs and they need the muscular uh, and uh, and skeletal strength in order to withstand those kind of challenges, not to mention further ta- challenges um, that might be coming down the line. Emotional challenges like facing disease, facing financial turmoil, facing divorce, regular transitions like having a new sibling or moving school. Uh, all of these actually demand a certain level of strength, not safety, right? A certain capacity and ability and tolerance of discomfort. And so I'm reminded of that brilliant anonymous uh, folk you know, wisdom, which is don't clear the path for the child, but rather prepare the child for the path. And when we put too much emphasis on safety, we are very much clearing the path for the child and we are making them weaker rather than stronger. But we're not making the world a safer place. We think we are, but they will still be confronted with difficulty. There still could be, you know, God forbid, a traffic accident, an alcoholic in the family that they have to tend to and deal with, a depression or a recession or loss or grief or fear or war. And yeah, they're going to have to deal with those big fears, with those big difficulties, because I don't think any human is really spared that type of stress in their life. And wouldn't it be better if they had had a little bit of playground practice, a little bit of strength, a little bit of resilience, a little bit of buffer, a little bit of muscle tone to help them face those difficult things down? What we're doing in our culture of over-empathy, of safe spaces, of trigger warnings, of safetyism is not helping our children. It's making them weak. It's making them the most anxious and depressed generation yet. And it's actually really doing them a disservice as the world is an affronting place, right? We are confronted with difficulties. We are confronted with hatred. We are confronted with hurricanes. We're confronted with disease. Uh, These things come, right? And even if those big things don't come in someone's life, like, wow, that would be amazing. Other things come. Everybody faces some disappointment, some rejection, nightmares, whatever it is, they need to be able to handle it. So when people ask me, is your family safe? I think to myself, well, no, we're not necessarily safe. I I don't know. I'm, you know, often in fight and flight mode throughout the day, feeling that our life is very much, um, you know, under attack. And with that, uh, my emphasis is not only on safety. Of course, we do what we can, right? We do what we can to protect ourselves. Uh, But our emphasis also needs to be on strengthening ourselves, strengthening our selves physically and mentally so that we can handle and face these difficulties. And in strengthening ourselves, we make ourselves safer. We actually make ourselves more robust. We actually make ourselves more protected because we're more able to defend ourselves physically. We're more able to defend ourselves 
emotionally and less susceptible to, you know, lasting uh, emotional symptoms like PTSD, anxiety disorders, um, and depression, etc. Um, so, you know, if you want your child to be able to withstand what life throws at them, we actually need to make them be able to defend themselves, right? This reminds me again of the wonderful analogy or metaphor, but it's very literal with, you know, uh, exposure to germs or exposure to allergens, right? It's actually through the exposure to germs or to allergens that we strengthen our immune system. It's not through avoiding these things, right? We can't um, we can't just <laughs> protect our children through safetyism and say, okay, we'll never expose you to, say, allergens or we'll never expose you to germs. And in doing so, we'll keep you safe. It's the opposite. We're actually making you weaker, right? We're actually making you much more susceptible and much less likely to be able to defend yourself against those germs when you do meet them and you will meet them because you're a human in the world. Um, much better would be for us to practice in small, gradual ways, being exposed to some stresses and building up the muscle tone, building up the immunity uh, in order to be able to then contend with these uh, pathogens. And the pathogens could be literal pathogens, right? Uh, it could be bad ideas. It could be, right, terrible, uh, terrible ideologies. Um, it could be bad habits and bad lifestyles that lead to, to, to weakened positions, either because our relationships are weakened or our finances are weakened or our, our mental capacity or our emotional life is weakened, right? So my idea here is really that I want you in your parenting. Yep, safety is good. Sure, lock the doors, do a martial arts course, wear helmets, uh, take your vitamins, be safe. Okay, but safety is not the only thing and too much safety makes us weak. So let's now uh, shift gears for a moment and ask ourselves how we actually build our children's strength and our own strength rather than focusing on trying to remove all of the threats, which we can never really do. So three things that I think we can do from the earliest of ages, right? This is from the earliest of ages. The first one is developing a you can do it mindset. Okay. This is where independence comes in. All right. I am not suggesting that you don't build a strong and secure attachment with your child. You absolutely should. Babies are dependent on us. They need to uh, nurse on demand and, and, and skin to skin and uh, sleep close to us. And all of that stuff is great. I'm not saying just shove your baby, force them into independence. But I am saying independence is a muscle that grows slowly. You don't suddenly hand an 18-year-old the keys to the car uh, and say, okay, you're independent now. It's something that we build gradually throughout their childhood. And I, as you know, I'm a big advocate for building an independent muscle all the way from birth through play, right? When children play independently, they develop a sense of self-concept, a sense of strength, a sense that they can do it a sense that they don't need other people, right? We actually, from the earliest ages, don't want them to feel this constant dependent dependency on other people for absolutely everything. Of course, they're dependent on us for their survival, for their food, for their shelter, for love, for connection, for chauffeuring them places, for tying their shoes to begin with. But there are certainly things that even babies can do for themselves, right? They are able to entertain themselves and as time goes on, more and more independence is warranted, right? As they grow, as they develop, uh, as they are able to, they can take on more. Now, why is this important? Why is this a strength over safety mindset? Because when we encourage independence, we're encouraging children not to wait for other people to do things for them, not to sit passively, uh, not to think that they themselves have no agency, authorship, and ownership over their lives, but rather to see themselves as 
capable individuals, as individuals who can and do and use their imagination and use their own thought processes and problem solve. And they can do those things. And so the more independence you can give your child, uh, the better in that regard. Again, not in the sense of neglectfully pushing them away and abandoning them, but in the sense of really bolstering up their confidence through evidence, right? I believe confidence through evidence. I need to see evidence that I'm capable and then I will build confidence. So independence gives them that confidence and it starts with independent play quick plug for my book and the course Reclaim Play. If you would like to learn more about fostering that independence from the earliest of of ages, you can take my course Reclaim Play and you will learn exactly how to get your child playing independently. Um, And this is a really, really great first step in developing that strength. Talking about strength, that leads me directly to point number two, which is the mindset you can handle it. Okay, not just you can do it, but you can handle it. You are strong. It's not just that you are independent and you don't need to rely on other people. It's that you are actually really capable and you can do things that are hard. You can do things that require strength. And I want you to think of this even at the metaphorical level of physical strength, right? If your child's trying to lift something heavy, to push something, to do something by themselves, let them. As Dr. Phil said, Uh, Don't ever do for a child that which they can do for themselves, right? Not because we're not loving and caring, but because we really want to strengthen our children. We want them to feel like strong, capable individuals. I can tell you about myself, you know, living through war as I am right now. One of the things that I am emphasizing is my strength training, lifting weights. Why do I lift weights? Why am I building physical muscle? Because what we do with our bodies is often a metaphor for what we're doing with our minds. And when we feel physically strong, it helps us to feel mentally strong and vice versa. So I'm talking about physical strength, but I'm also, of course, talking about emotional and mental strength. When your child is trying to solve a math problem, when they're trying to figure out a problem with a friend, when they're trying to handle something without crying, a little bit of stoicism, a little bit of inner strength, a little bit of mental strength to handle it, that's a good thing. We've lost this in Western society. We've lost this in weird countries, right? Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic countries, weird countries. We are not focusing on mental strength, on your ability to withstand. Yeah, you can be offended sometimes and you can handle it. You could be rejected sometimes and you can handle it. You can be confronted with ideas you really don't like and disagree with and you can handle it. You don't need to break down in a puddle. You don't need to start crying. You don't need to tell on someone. You don't need to attack them. You can just handle it. You have broad shoulders. You have a strong spine. You can, you know, hold your chin up high and handle it. You can be last in line or get a smaller piece of cake or your sibling can go first or you didn't get the birthday present you wanted or something got canceled or the play day didn't happen and you can handle it. So I want you to emphasize your child's physical and emotional strength by telling them repeatedly, yeah, I trust you. You can handle it. You've got this. And I expect you to handle it. I expect you to be able to withstand some minor stresses, maybe sometimes a little bit bigger stresses as well, and handle it. That means regulate your emotions. That means manage it. That means exercise strength. Okay. And that means that us parents are not going to be focused purely on empathy in that time. We're not just going to be like, oh, poor baby. Oh, it's so bad. It's so hard. It's so difficult. No, we're going to be like, yeah, this is hard and you're tough, right? You can do hard things. 
yeah, this is hard. It sucks. It's really not what you wanted. It hurt your feelings. It bums you out. Uh, you know, or you hurt your body. You you broke your leg. That's hard. That's unpleasant. That's painful. That's difficult. And you can handle it. Those two things go hand in hand. And let me tell you something. This might sound like tough love uh, where you're listening to this, but I want to tell you something. This is pure love. The people who really love you don't see you as weak. The people who really love you don't coddle you. They don't protect you from life. They don't patronize you. They don't infantilize you. They see you as strong. They help you develop your strength. And in our culture, we've gotten so confused. We think that loving someone means letting them off the hook, giving them a free pass, protecting them from things. That's not love. That's disrespect. That's disbelief in someone. That's looking down on someone. That's patronizing someone. That's seeing someone as lesser than, as less capable, as weak. And worse, it's creating all of those effects. It's weakening them. So if you love your child, tell them they can handle it and show them that they can and support them in growing a spine, broadening their shoulders and handling things, taking things on the chin. They can do it. The third thing that I want you to develop alongside independence and strength is a little bit of a combination of those two. And this is the hero mentality. The mentality that you are the one to do it. Okay, now I'm not suggesting we raise a little generation of saviors who think that they're the Messiah and they need to step in and involve themselves and meddle in other people's affairs. I understand that it could sound that way, but that's not what I'm suggesting. What I am suggesting is that we help our children to avoid that bypasser syndrome, the bystander who says, well, someone else will take care of this. Someone else will rescue us. Someone else will solve the problem. Someone else will step up. Someone else should take the risk. Someone else should say what needs to be said. I want you to actually actively teach your children, and we all need to learn this for ourselves. I need to learn this for myself, right? To be the one to say the hard thing, to be different to be willing to be criticized, to be willing to lose something in the process, right? Maybe I'm going to lose my reputation. Maybe I'm going to lose, you know, a financial opportunity. Maybe I'm going to lose a friend uh, by speaking truth. Maybe I am going to feel extremely stressed and anxious about exposure. Maybe I'm going to actually risk, you know, life and limb to save someone, right? In other words, I want us to raise children who, if they see someone getting beaten up on the street, they're not just going to turn around and run in the other direction, but they're going to run towards the scene and say, hey, can I help? Right? And they're going to look for ways to help. Not reckless, not stupid, again, not meddling, not being uh, kind of like an arrogant hero, right? Who thinks that they can do things that they can't do. We want them to develop skills. That's why I said first, independence and strength. But when you're an independent and strong individual, when you have developed, say, your physical strength and your skills, and maybe you have been going to martial arts for a while and you see someone getting beaten up in school, you can step in. You have the capacity. You have the the buildup of evidence that has created confidence in you that shows you that you're strong, that you're capable, that you can do it. And now you have to develop the mindset that you are the one to do it. We have raised a generation of kids who think someone else should do it. Someone else should take the risk. I should sit quietly. I should bide my time. I should just, you know, be meek, be timid. I should hide. I should evade, you know, and I should just follow the crowd and blend in. And no, that might create safety, right? I might be safe 
in the safety of the crowd. I might be safe when I blend into the background, when I don't voice my opinion, when I don't tell the truth, when I don't speak up, uh, when I don't say something, when I don't uh, get involved. But what kind of life is that? And what kind of society would that build if everybody kind of just turns away, turns a blind eye and, and moves on and has only self-interest at heart? The hero mentality is the idea that you're the one to do it. Now, this might all sound very lofty and, uh, you know, like I'm talking from a place of, okay, Avital, you're living through a war right now. How is this relevant to me? Well, let me tell you how it's relevant to you. When my child walks, you know, in the hallway of our house and there's a toy on the floor, I tell them, uh, excuse me, did you just step over that toy? Why shouldn't you be the one to pick it up? They say, well, I didn't put it there. Who cares if you put it there or not? You're the one to do it. You can be a hero. You can be someone who steps in and helps out. You can be the one to volunteer, to raise your hand. You can do it for someone else, right? When there's uh, something to clean up, when there's something to do, when someone needs help, right? Oh, my parents need help moving around some stuff in their house. Why, why not give my children ample opportunities to say, I'll do it. Here, let me step in. When we go to other people's houses, I tell my kids, if you see them cleaning something, say they're, they're sweeping, all right, grab the broom and say, let me be the one to do it. That's a hero mentality. That's a mentality that says, I'm not waiting for anyone else. No one else needs to come and save me. No one else needs to do this for me. Why shouldn't I be the one to do it? Here's another example. My son came home, he had homework and he said, by the way, I've had this for a whole week and there's a test on this tomorrow. And he only told us the night before. And we said to him, okay, honey, you know, you didn't take initiative. You didn't take responsibility. You didn't use the whole seven days that you had to practice for this. And so uh, good luck on the test. I hope you do well. But, you know, you kind of, you made your bed, you got to lie in it, right? Letting them live out the consequences of not having a hero mentality of saying, oh, my parents should remember. My parents should remind me. My parents should pack my lunch for me. My parents should tell me to bring a sweater. These are all day-to-day opportunities where you can say, no, why didn't you think of bringing a sweater? Why didn't you think of packing extra socks? Why didn't you think of doing your homework in time? You need to take pride in these things. If you don't take care of your belongings or of your assignments or of your responsibilities, then you're having the opposite of a hero mentality, right? You're having that mentality that is weak, that is dependent, and that is waiting for someone else to save me. Someone else should think about these things. Someone else should take initiative and have ambition in this regard. No, 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 my friend. No one's ever going to care more than you. No one else is ever going to be, uh, you know, more experienced, more skilled, better than you could be. You could be that person. You could be the hero. You could be the person to save yourself or to save others. And that is something we want them to think about, right? I think many of us reached adulthood and we're like, wait, this is adulthood. These are the people with the keys to the kingdom. These are the people making the decisions. These are the doctors and the lawyers and the teachers and the and the government. They're like my age now. <laughs> and they have just about as much responsibility and wherewithal and capacity and strength and independence as I have. Oh no, we're in trouble, right? And that is the feeling of having the realization that no you know, white horse is coming to save us, um, right? No, no sh- knight in shining armor, I mean, on a white horse. Uh, no, um, you know, sudden adults in the room are going to appear and be like, don't worry, you don't have to be the mom anymore. You don't have to have all these responsibilities. It was actually my responsibility altogether. No, the responsibility lies on us. So that is something we want to build up gradually and slowly in our children. So it doesn't hit them like a ton of bricks when they're adults. So to summarize, 
Independence, you can do it. Strength, you can handle it. And hero mentality, you are the one to do it, not someone else, are three ways we can really prioritize courage and strength and bravery and capacity and all of these other values over safety. And that is actually going to offer a ton of freedom, right? When we feel strong, when we feel independent, when we feel like a hero mentality, we don't have to cower and hide quite as much. We don't have to overwrap ourselves with bubble wrap and overemphasize our safety. Sure, we're still going to use safety belts. We're still going to take our vitamins. We're still going to arm ourselves if we need to arm ourselves or defend ourselves if we need to defend ourselves. But we don't need to be quite as meek, as timid, as weak as we would be if we were constantly emphasizing safety. All right. So yes, your child can take some physical risks and build physical strength. And yes, your child can take some emotional risks and build emotional strength. They can handle it. They can do it. They are the ones to do it. I hope this has helped reframe our culture's obsession with safetyism and my own approach to my family's safety. And if this has been helpful for you, use it to start a conversation with other parents around you and make sure to share it with someone who might find it interesting. Remember to go and grab your copy of Reclaim Play over on amazon.com or just go to reclaimplay.com course to take the course so that you can get your child playing independently and get them all those juicy benefits of starting their path of independence, strength and hero mentality early in life. See you here next time. Thank you so much for tuning in.